Well, we are in the book of First Peter, and I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and I will begin this morning by reading our text for us. First Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter begins his letter and he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. On September 2nd, 1855, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, stood up and he preached a sermon on the doctrine of election. And here's what he said. He said this, quote, No man will be so bold as he who believes that he is elect of God. What cares he for man if he is chosen of his Maker? Will he fear it if all the whole world stands against him? If earth be all in arms abroad, he dwells in perfect peace. For he is in the secret place of the tabernacle of the Most High, in the great pavilion of the Almighty. I am God's, says he. I am distinct from other men. Is not my name written in God's book? End quote. Spurgeon is right. Spurgeon is right. There is something about the doctrine of election that emboldens us and encourages us to live for Christ. Knowing that we belong to Him. That we are in the secret place of the tabernacle of our God. With our names written in the Lamb's book of life. As I said last week, this doctrine, the doctrine of election, is not only biblical, but it's very practical. It's a very practical doctrine for us. You see, this doctrine doesn't stop us from living for Christ because we're chosen by Him. But this doctrine is the very foundation on which our whole Christian life is built. It's the foundation. And it's foundational because... As we are going to see this morning, it started in heaven before you and I were even born. It's foundational. Our salvation started in heaven before you and I even existed. In fact, if it wasn't for God choosing me, I wouldn't be a Christian. I wouldn't be here before you preaching the Word this morning. Because left on my own, I wouldn't choose God. And neither would you. None of us would be here this morning worshiping our God if He hadn't chosen us. But the doctrine of election gives us hope. It gives us hope, it gives us assurance, and it gives us boldness and courage to go out and to live for Christ. And when we understand the depths of this doctrine and realize what it entails, it causes us to go deeper in our relationship with Christ and long to live for Him even more. But there are many people, sadly, in the evangelical church today who reject this great doctrine. They either don't fully understand the doctrine or they have too high of a view of man. They want to play a role in their salvation. 
But the doctrine of election says that you were chosen not by anything that you did, but before you did anything good or bad, right? But there's something inside of fallen man in our nature that fights against this. And as I said last week, we need to not fight against this great doctrine, but we need to learn to embrace it, to love it, to believe it. And we should believe it because it's biblical. It's biblical. It's taught all throughout the entire Bible. The doctrine of election is taught to us. We should also believe it because it magnifies the gospel. The doctrine of election magnifies the gospel. The good news is that you and I cannot save ourselves, but God has done everything to save you. Including choosing you to be saved. It's all of Him. Salvation is all of Him and none of us. And that magnifies the Gospel, right? And we should believe it because it gives us hope and security. It gives us hope and security. Because we are chosen by God, we cannot lose our salvation. You and I are secure in Him. We're secure. And it's helpful for us to understand this and to try and grasp the depths of God's electing love for us. Even though we can't fully understand the depths of this great doctrine, but this morning what I want us to do is I want us to go deeper. I want to go deeper with you into this great doctrine. As I said last time, as we work our way through these two verses, we're going to see not only the deeper truths about God's electing love, God's election of people, but we will also see that God chose us and chooses people for a purpose. There's a purpose in all of this. And as I said last time, we began began by looking at verse 1 and we saw the earthly status of God's elect. The earthly status of God's elect. As we saw that Peter is writing to believers who were scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And they're scattered throughout these five regions in the Roman Empire. These believers are living under persecution and they needed some encouragement in their life as they're being persecuted for their faith, as they're going through trials. And so Peter writes to them to remind them that they are residing as aliens in those regions. That's all they are. That's all that you and I are. We're just a bunch of aliens residing here on this earth. Peter's reminding them of their earthly status. That as God's elect, they don't belong to this earth. That as God's elect, you and I don't belong to this place. We are sojourners or or pilgrims or strangers. And the idea there is of a person who is visiting a place for a while, but who is not a permanent resident. That's all we're doing. We're just visitors here. We're just visitors to this earth. And what Peter is talking about here is not that they are just visitors in these provinces in which they're living, but they are visitors to planet earth. And the same is true of you and I. We're just visitors here on this earth. In relation to this earth, All of us who are chosen believers are aliens. We're strangers. We're we're sojourners. We don't belong here. And those who are God's chosen people are strangers. And so, as strangers, we shouldn't set our minds on the things that are here on this earth. Right? Because this is not where we belong. Which leads to our second point, point number two. And where we pick up here this morning, and that is point number two, the heavenly status of God's elect. The heavenly status of God's 
elect. Last week we saw the earthly status. This morning we'll see the heavenly status. Notice at the end of verse 1 in the NAS, if you're reading out of the NAS, that it says, who are chosen. Who are chosen. At the end of verse 1. That word chosen in the Greek is a, it's a verbal adjective that is in the passive voice. I'm getting a little nerdy with you this morning. But it's a verbal adjective in the passive voice. What does that mean? It simply means this. It means that the readers of Peter's letter and us are the objects of the electing action of God. Passive. Not active, passive. We are the ones who are receiving the action that God is doing. It means that they are the ones who have been acted upon. That's what the passive voice means. God is the acting agent, but we are the ones who are being acted upon. God is the one who does the choosing, and who does He choose? He chooses us. He chooses us. And as I said last week, the word order in the Greek is different, and it could be read this way. To those who are elect aliens, chosen aliens. In fact, the NIV says it this way. It says this, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Ponta, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter's writing here to God's elect exiles. To God's chosen aliens. We are God's elect. Which means that our election in all respects is heavenly. It's heavenly. It began in heaven. We are presently citizens of heaven. And our future is where? Heaven. It's our future. And this is not because of anything that you and I have done, but because of what God chose to do in eternity past. And that's what Peter wants these persecuted believers to be reminded of. He wants to remind them, remember, you're going through trials. You're going through persecution. But remember, you don't belong here. This is not your home. You belong to heaven. And you don't belong to heaven because you made a choice at some point during your time here on earth. But you belong to heaven because God chose you before the foundation of the world. In fact, listen to what James tells us in James 1.17. James says this, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Let me ask you, what is salvation? It's a gift. A perfect gift, right? In fact, the very next verse in James 1.18, he says this. He says, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That's salvation. That's what James is talking about there. He brought us forth. He saved us. He gave us the gift of salvation. And where does that gift come from? From above. It didn't come from you. It didn't come from decision, some decision that you had made. It didn't come from growing up under Christian parents or going to church. It came from above. It came from God in heaven. He is the one who has given us this gift of salvation. In fact, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 3, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Greek word for born again there is the word anothen. And it can mean born again, but a better way to translate that word is to be born from above. To be born from above. In fact, that's how the Net Bible translates it. It says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Just as you and I had nothing to do with our first birth, the same is true of our spiritual birth. We were born from above. That spiritual birth was given to us by God in heaven. And it was already decided for us in heaven in eternity past. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But you and I are born from above. Our birth came from God in heaven. And because we are born from above, our citizenship is where? Above, in heaven. Which is exactly what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we don't belong to this world. In fact, not only do we not belong to this world, but we don't even belong to ourselves. We don't even belong to ourselves. What do I mean by that? I mean you're not your own. You and I, as God's chosen people, are not our own masters. We are not our own authority. We don't belong to us. We belong to who? To God. In fact, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, I know the context there is that Paul is talking about sexual purity. But it applies to the rest of our lives as well. We are not our own. Why? Because we've been chosen by God in eternity past and have been bought with the blood of Christ. We don't belong to earth. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. In fact, Paul reminds us of that in Romans 14, 7. He says this, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. You don't live for yourself, and you don't even die for yourself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for who? For the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. We belong to heaven. It's our citizenship and our home. And when was it decided that you and I would belong to heaven? In eternity past. When we were chosen by God. That is our status. As God's chosen people, we belong to Him. And God made that choice of us in eternity past. And so our present circumstances that we are in is that because of God's choice, you and I belong to Him. And therefore, our future is also heaven. In fact, notice that Peter reminds these chosen believers of this down in verse 3. Look at what Peter says, 1 Peter 1.3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice verse 4, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Notice that our inheritance is reserved where? In heaven. In heaven. A few weeks ago, our family took a trip up north. First time we ever went up north. But we did it. We went to Brainerd. And stayed in a cabin on a lake there. It was a beautiful, wonderful time. But in order to make all of that happen... Sarah had to make some reservations. 
she had to do the work to reserve the cabin for us so that we could go and enjoy a week up north. But in God's kingdom, we don't have to make reservations. Why? They were already made for us. The reservation was already made for us. One commentator says, our inheritance is in heaven. It is kept there for us. It is actually being held there by God for us. And wouldn't this be comforting truth to those who are being persecuted? You want to know where your inheritance is? Not here on this earth. It's in heaven. Oh, and by the way, God reserved it for you. You don't have to make reservations yourself. God already did that. And when was that reservation made? In eternity past. As Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. In eternity past, God chose us. And God made the reservation. He said, you're mine. And your future is with me. John MacArthur says this, quote, God chose us to be children. And when he chose us to be children, he therefore chose to give us an eternal inheritance, end quote. We're chosen by God in eternity past, and it was decided by God that you and I would spend eternity with him in heaven. In fact, John tells us in Revelation that our names were written down in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to Revelation 21, 27. Speaking of the eternal heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, it says this, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our destiny is heaven, where our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. They're written there now. Believer, brothers and sisters in Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And God has promised He will not erase it. Our destiny is heaven where our names are written down in His book of life. And because our names are written down there, we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens. And because we are citizens of heaven, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are here on the earth. As those who are chosen of God, our future is heaven, not this earth. And so our minds should always be set on the things above. One commentator says, this setting of one's mind, affection, and heart calls for a definite act of our wills to daily, continually, moment by moment, be thinking about and directing our minds toward the things of heaven and eternity. That's where we should be directing our minds. And so our thinking, our affections, and our heart should be directed upward. Heaven. And this would be comforting for believers who are suffering persecution on earth, right? This is comforting for them. The doctrine of election is comforting. Because this earth is not our home. And Peter knows that. And so he comforts them by reminding them that they are chosen by God. That they are not their own. That they don't belong to this world. But they belong to Christ in heaven who chose them. And as you and I walk through this life and go through times of suffering and persecution, because church, it's, it's coming, it's here. We're going to go through persecution. We're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through hard times. We need to be reminded 
of this great truth. That our earthly status is that we're just strangers passing through. That's all we are. And that our present citizenship and our future home is in heaven because we have been chosen by God in eternity past. And so we've seen first the earthly status of God's elect. Second, the heavenly status of God's elect. Let's look third now at the divine initiative of God's elect. The divine initiative of God's elect. Notice what Peter says again at the beginning of verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He chose us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, as those who are God's elect, we know that God is the one who was doing the choosing. We didn't choose God, but He chose us, right? As we saw last week, Ephesians 1, verse 4, Just as He, the Father, chose us in Him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writes, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It is God the Father who does the choosing. And He does it apart from anything that you and I do or have done. His choice of us had nothing to do with what you and I would or would not do. Nothing. He chose by His own grace, by His own mercy. He did that. In fact, you'll hear people try to describe God's foreknowledge here by saying that God chose us because He knew beforehand what you and I would do. They are essentially saying, God looked down the corridors of time and saw those who would choose Him. And based upon our decision of Him, He then chose us. That's what Arminians would say. That's how they would describe the foreknowledge of God. And there's something inside of us that wants that to sound like the right way to think of this doctrine, right? Because there's something inside of us who wants to have a part in our salvation. We want to be the ones to make the choice. We want to contribute to our salvation in some way. But the fact is, it is all of God and none of us. Now, did you repent of your sin when you were saved? Yes. Did you believe in Christ when you were saved? Yes. You did that. And yet the only way that you were able to do that was because God took your dead heart and made it alive. Left on your own, you wouldn't have repented of your sin. Left on your own, you wouldn't believe in Christ. But God did that work in your heart. He caused your dead heart to become alive and then you responded by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ. And all of that was granted to us by God. All of it is a a gift. Even that repentance, you repenting of your sin, is a gift of God. In fact, Acts 11.18 says, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. God granted it to them. They didn't do it on their own, in their own strength. God granted that. God grants repentance to them. And the same is with faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. That faith is the gift of God. All of salvation is the gift of God. 
not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So repentance and faith are a gift from God. For you to even repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, that was granted to you. It was given to you to be able to do that. Our salvation is all of God. Why did we repent and put our faith in Christ? Because God foreordained it. Because God foreordained it. It was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that word foreknowledge does not mean foresight or supernatural knowledge of the future. As if because God is omniscient, that is all-knowing, He looked ahead and knew who would choose Him. That's not what this means. In fact, if that is what it means, then we have some problems, right? We've got some problems. What are the problems? Number one, if foreknowledge means that God looked ahead to see who would choose Him, then that would put man in charge. That means you and I are in charge. It means that you and I are sovereign in our salvation, which means God is not. God is sovereign in in everything else uh, except for my salvation. It would mean that God is not powerful enough to save me, but instead, He needed me to choose Him. But what did Jesus tell His disciples in John 15, 16? You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. Number two, if foreknowledge means that God looked ahead to see who would choose Him, then it would allow us to boast in our salvation. It would allow us to boast in our salvation. If foreknowledge means God looked ahead and saw who would choose Him, then that means that we chose Him and now we have something to boast about before God, right? But as I said before, no one will be able to boast before God. No one will. In fact, that's what Paul told us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a single person is going to be able to boast before God. In fact, listen to what Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He says this, by, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. The only boasting that you're going to be able to do is in the Lord. Not in self. It's by His doing that you are in Christ. Not by His doing in your choice. Not by His doing in your works. Not by His doing and your decision to follow after Him. No, it's all by His doing. Why? Well, so that when we boast, we'll boast in the Lord. We'll boast in Him. That's all we're left with. We can't boast in self. I didn't save me. I did nothing to save me. I played no part in myself. All I did was receive it. Just received the gift. He did it all. We won't be able to boast in the Lord and in ourselves for choosing Him, but our boast will only be in Christ. And the third reason why foreknowledge does not mean that God looked ahead to see who would choose him is because it would deny the depravity of man. It would deny the depravity of man. And not only that, but it would also deny the scriptures that speak about the depravity of man. Scriptures like Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? Total depravity. You're depraved. Who can understand man's heart? Or Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. Listen to this. There is none who seeks for God. None. The seeker sensitive movement, it's a lie. It's not true. It's all built on a lie. They're thinking that there are all these people that are out there that are seeking after God. What does our Bible say? No one seeks after God. No, not one. Well, I mean, except for Christians, you know, or Americans, because, you know, we're born in a Christian nation, you know, so maybe, maybe they do. No. No one does. No, not one. None seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Yeah, but my neighbor is a nice person, you know. Yeah, but my family members are nice people. You know, maybe they are seeking after God. Nope. They're depraved. No one seeks after God. Even Ephesians 2.1 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Can a dead person seek? They can't. It's impossible. You see, if foreknowledge means that God looks ahead to see who would choose him, then that would mean that man has the ability within himself to do good and choose God. That means that his heart is not spiritually dead, but he has some capacity to be able to choose God. But that's not what the Scriptures teach, right? We just heard it. Man is dead in his trespasses and sins. In fact, man is so dead that the only way for anyone to come to Christ is if the Father draws them to Christ. No one draws themselves to Christ. It's the Father who draws them to Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. He says, no one can come to me. Not a single person. Unless the Father draws him. The Father is the one who chooses And the Father is the one who draws us to Christ. Do you realize that? That the moment that you heard the gospel and God awakened your dead heart was the moment that the Father drew you to Christ. You weren't saved because you walked an aisle. You weren't saved because you said some prayer. You weren't saved because you chose God. You were saved because the Father drew you to Christ. He did that. And no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him to Christ. And so foreknowledge cannot mean that God looks ahead to see who would choose him. It cannot mean that. So what does it mean then? I'm glad you asked. It means to foreordain or to predetermine. To foreordain or to predetermine. In fact, look down at verse 20 in 1 Peter 1. Notice what Peter says there in verse 20. It says this, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. You see that word foreknown there? That word foreknown in the Greek is the word prognosko. And it's related to foreknowledge back in verse 2. And it means to choose beforehand. This does not mean that the Father looked down the quarters of time and saw the decision that Jesus would make to die for sinners. 
That's not what this means. How do we know? Listen to what Peter says when he's preaching in Acts 2.23. He says this, This man, that is Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Were they guilty for what they did? Yes. Did God plan it? Yes. When? In eternity past. God planned it all. There was nothing that was going on that day as Jesus is going to the cross where the Father is going, oh, I really hope he does this. Oh, I really hope he chooses the right thing. It was already foreordained. God had already planned for the cross to happen. Were those guards and Pontius, Pontius Pilate and Herod and all of them, were they guilty for what they did? Yes. They were responsible for every decision that they made. But God foreordained it to happen. God planned for it to happen in eternity past. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't have the mind of God. The secret things belong to who? him i don't know how that works but i believe it why because he tells us that in his word that's what he says in his word sending christ to save sinners was god's plan from before the world began it was all according to god's foreknowledge and the same is true of our election We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And the point that Peter is making is that we belong to God, not because of our own decision, but because it was decided that we would belong to Him before the foundation of the world. Where was it decided? In heaven, in God's mind. He chose to save us. In eternity past. We didn't make the initiative to trust in Christ. God made the initiative. And He made the initiative long before you and I were even born. In fact, one commentator says it this way. Peter here instructs his readers that God's divine initiative has operated in their lives even before they were aware of it. This is deep stuff, isn't it? The doctrine of election? Even before you and I were aware of it, God had already chosen that we would belong to Him. Think about that. It's amazing. Think about this for for just a moment, but not for too long. But just for a moment. Go back to a time in your life before you were saved. When you were living in rebellion against God. You know, at that time, you were chosen. You were His. You belonged to Him. Your future was an inheritance in heaven with Him. At a time when you were living in sin and living for self. Not trusting in Christ. But at that time, you were chosen to be God's child. God had already had your future planned out. At that moment. He had it all planned out. From the very moment of your birth. He had it all planned out. That you would belong to Him. That you would be His. He planned it from before you were even born. From before the time the world was even created. God chose you and He is the one who made the initiative. He made the choice to save you. 
And notice this. Because he chose you and redeemed you, notice what Peter calls him. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of who? God the Father. God the Father. You see, not everyone can call him Father. Not everyone can call the God of the universe Father. The unredeemed cannot call him Father, but we can. We can. And because he is our Father, we are his children. Which means this, God will take care of us, right? He'll take care of us. Peter's writing to God's chosen children who are suffering hardships in life. And what do they need to be reminded of? That God chose them. That they belong to him. That as their father, he will take care of them. Because God is a faithful father and a good father who loves his children. And now, no matter what circumstances you're going through, you can remember that you have been chosen by the Father to be His. You are His child. And He cares for you. And because you've been chosen by Him, that ought to embolden you to go out and to live for Him, right? What can they do to us? Nothing. I belong to the King. They might take my life, but if I die, I die for who? For the Lord, because I belong to Him. If I live, I live for the Lord, because I belong to Him. You see how practical the doctrine of election is? It's very practical. It ought to, as Spurgeon said, not fear man or those who stand against us. It ought to cause us to stand up and to not fear man, but to be emboldened to go and preach the gospel and live for Christ, knowing I belong to Him. He chose me in eternity past. He died for me. He saved me. He did all of the work in my life, and I belong to Him. And therefore, I will go and live my life for my Master, for my King to bring all glory and all honor and all praise to Him because that's what He chose me to do. And our names are written down in His book, in the Lamb's book of life. In closing, some of you might be here this morning asking this question, how do I know if I'm chosen by God? How do I know that? How does anyone know whether or not they are chosen by God? The answer to that question lies in what you will do with His Son. What will you do with the Son? If you will recognize that you're a sinner who has sinned against a holy and righteous God, a sinner who is in need of salvation, if you will understand that Christ, His Son, died on a cross for sinners, He was buried and rose again on the third day. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ to save you from your sin and embrace Christ and make Him the Lord of your life, if you do that, then you can be assured that you are chosen of God. Because that's how all of God's chosen children respond, right? Those who respond to the gospel of Christ through repentance and faith are the chosen ones of God. If you're here this morning and you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation, I urge you to do that today. Now, Run to Christ. Plead with Him to save you. 
cast yourself upon Him, realizing that He is the only one who can save you. And if you do that, He will answer. Because He is a good and gracious and loving and merciful Father. Come to Christ today and be saved. Well, there are three more points to go, but we'll pick up with those next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing truth, the doctrine of election. We are amazed. Amazed at your love for us. Amazed at your grace as we even sing the hymn Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound who saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Lord, we were all lost before you redeemed us. But Lord, you redeemed us because you chose us in eternity past to be yours. And we thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon us because none of us could do anything, anything worthy to be saved. But we thank you that you have chosen us, that you've called us to be yours. And I pray that as we think deeply upon this glorious doctrine, that it would embolden us to go and to live for Christ to tell others of Christ, to not fear man, but to fear you and you alone. God, I do pray for anyone who is here this morning who does not know you, who has not received the free gift of salvation that you offer. Lord, I pray that you would awaken their dead hearts, that they would become alive that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ. That you, God, in your sovereign power, would redeem them this day. And may today be the day of salvation for them. Father, help us to leave from this place, to go out into this world that is not our own, that we don't belong to, and to go and proclaim the glories of who you are, and to live our lives for you. We pray all of this in the name of our great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.